podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Harry Sethi. After a 2-0 win over Everton in the Merseyside derby on Monday evening, in which the Reds scored goals reminiscent of Klopp's side at their counter-attacking best, Liverpool will be looking to prove they've finally turned a corner as they head to Newcastle on Saturday evening, with Reds fans hoping this side, boosted by returning stalwarts, can begin to build momentum for a genuine top-four battle. Joining me on the pod this week to discuss what's been a seriously impressive first half of the season from the Magpies, we welcome back football writer and a regular of the Man on the Post podcast, Dave Black. Welcome back, Dave. Hi, Harry. Thanks for having us. Good to have you on again. Good to have you on. Um, I think we just mentioned ever so briefly before the pod started um, that the last time we had a had chance to speak, uh, things were developing, certainly when it came to sort of the Newcastle project, but I feel like uh, with what we've seen so far this season anyway, and just looking, taking a glance at the table uh, and seeing Newcastle in, in fourth place at the moment after having played 22 games uh, on 41 points, uh, behind United City and Arsenal at present, it's fair to say it has been an eventful one uh, for 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 Newcastle fans, uh, to say the least. Uh, feels an age ago um, when I think back to the uh, the game at Anfield early in the season, and uh, it's um, somewhat. I mean, when you look at the results that Newcastle have, have picked up, for Liverpool to be the only side to have beaten Newcastle in the league this season. Uh, especially when you consider what version of Liverpool this seems to have been so far this season, that is a pretty remarkable one. But we'll, we'll, we'll come on to talk about that game uh, later. But I just want to get your opinion, I mean, on how the season has gone so far. Uh, just initially your overarching thoughts. Oh, incredibly positive. Um, I think we spoke, as you say, probably back in August, and I was, I think we'd just come off the back of a draw with Man City, and I was, that kind of changed my opinion from being, let's push for the top half to let's try and maybe trouble the top six or seven but um, since that that game we, we've just been very very hard to beat as you mentioned there in the, uh, in the, in the intro just now um, obviously we've made a cup final which is which is next week which is again new territory for, for us certainly for a lot of fans um, I think I was about maybe 11-12 when we made our last final so uh, it's been a long time coming so um, I couldn't be happier I know we've been on a little bit sticky road in the last few, few weeks but mm-hmm. um it doesn't take away from the season we've had so far at all. And I think perhaps one of the things that will be surprising, or would have been surprising to to many actually when they're watching the way in which things have unfolded for Newcastle this season, has probably been uh, the way in which, for example, Eddie Howe's built a pattern uh, of success here. Because obviously at his previous uh, club, and we think about his time at Bournemouth, or what he was known for, perhaps it was more 
obviously the the attacking side of the game, the intensity of the game that we sometimes saw uh, from Bournemouth in transition, certainly maybe not the defensive solidity and the the defensive solidity of this team and his his approach to Newcastle has been so so much at the forefront. I think it's probably taken people a bit off guard, such as the notion of you know, how dare you develop. How do you develop as a coach and become better? It's a uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a rarity these days. I mean, you j- just tell me what so, has been your opinion of Eddie Howe since he's got the job and the way in which he's looked to build this side. You know, on 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 the back of a a, a solid defensive unit. Yeah, well, I mean, like you, I didn't really think Eddie Howe was had it in him to uh, sort of coach a, you know, the, or we considered eleven goals in the season in the league. It's something ridiculous like that, and I just didn't ever see that coming. Um, but I think he realised pretty early on in his time that we, we didn't have this, you know, great number of attacking players, and as a result, he decided to, you know, let's make us difficult to beat. Uh, let's try and win by you know, get ahead, and then make sure we stay ahead, and that was kind of crucial to our, to our survival. Um, and then he added in Nick Pope to the equation, Sven Botman, um, who has made huge differences along with with Dan Byrne, who came in in January last year. Um, and if you've coupled them with Trippier and Cher, who are, who are already there, um, we've now got a really cohesive back four and goalkeeper unit, which, again, something Newcastle haven't had for pretty much my entire lifetime. So um, that goes um, a long way towards it. And um, obviously, with the money we've got, he's been able to add in players steadily in front of that. Um, and I think at some point, he will take the handbrake off a little bit. We probably do play a little bit defensively. Um, which is just where we're at, I, I think. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. You know, realistically, we're not... um the likes, you know, we're not as as good an attacking team as most of the top four or five. Um, but as a unit, we have become very, very efficient um, from back to front. And if you take anyone out of that unit, such as Bruno Gamares at the minute who's suspended, we're a little bit less effective. Um, and also, if you bring in someone like Saint Maximin, who perhaps has his moments and very maverick, um, it also takes a little bit away from the the, the whole unit. So. Um, that's what he's got. Um, I say it, 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 as you mentioned earlier, it, he's developing that. Um, he, well, I'm sure he'd love to go out and play front foot football all the time and beat teams 4 and 5 0, but we aren't that good. Um, and we, we never have been really during this run. We've had our moments, we've had games who, you know, if we get ahead against teams and they keep attacking us, we will just pick them off on the break, which we've seen against like Savella, Brentford, um, Southampton away. Um, we're capable of doing that. Of course, we are. If any team leaves the gaps against decent size, they'll do that. But generally, we've always been a one or two goals kind of team, and that's kind of dried up a little bit recently, which is why we've not been as good since the World Cup. Yeah. 
And you mentioned a couple of the players there that have been key to to that defensive sort of solidity uh, that Eddie Howe has looked to to implement in Newcastle. Who who are the key figures there? I mean, you 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 at pains to sort of mention the importance of the unit, and as a Liverpool fan, I know sort of. Uh, certainly by the breakdown of sort of, uh, and some of the issues Liverpool have had this season, a lot of it has come from the fact that the team really fun- has to function as a unit and when certain mm, pieces yeah. are removed, uh, everything sort of collapses a little bit or becomes a lot more up to chance. Uh, I mean, so the, clearly the unit's important, everyone working for each other, but who, who have been some of those really key figures? Well, Botman's been um, an unbelievable signing uh, for the centre half East. He's got all the potential to be as good as Van Dijk. So, you know, I'm not just, not just saying that, mm. but obviously there's a lot of comparisons there with him being Dutch. And I think he's been the best defender in the le- in, in, in the league this season, to be honest. Yeah, well, he's actually unbeaten. He didn't play at Anfield, um, so he's never lost a Premier League game. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did lose to Sheffield Wednesday in the Cup, but that's not, that's by the by. Um, but <laughs> no, he, he's he, if you spend 30 million on any defender, you'd expect him to improve what you've got, and he, he certainly has done. Um, but also uh, um, Nick Pope. I mean, I quite like Dubravka, um, who was our number one for the last two or three seasons. Um, I didn't think he really needed to play them, but Pope is head and shoulders better than him. Um, commands his box, makes ridiculous reaction saves. Um, there's a lot of talk about, oh, he's not very good with his feet, etc., etc. I don't think there's many goalkeepers who are. You know, Edison, Allison can ping past this 40, 50 yards. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't need to in the team we've got. He, he plays out shorter. Like all of the back four, are quite good on the ball, um, and he's been quite good at sweeper, sweeping up as well, which I didn't really have, think he had in him. But um, all of all of the perceived faults haven't haven't been there, um, which has been great for us. So that's obviously a huge part of our defensive success. Um, and as I say, adding Trippier, who's been the captain this season, and generally. He's our most creative player from right back, which is either a pro or a con. I'm sure you have similar discussions about Alexander Arnold, but um, Trippier is, you know, he's, he, him and Bruno are, are probably like they are too good for us as a club where we are now. Um, obviously, if we can get into Europe this season, that's great, but um, they're definitely sort of playing below the level by playing for us, in my opinion. And Trippier brings up another interesting point because I think when we last spoke, we sort of mentioned him and some of the. I think he may have been injured at that point. I can't remember, but uh, there was, we were talking about sort of the qualities he brought to the team beyond his sort of footballing ability. And one thing, uh, I suppose, it's a bit of an intangible. But when you're talking about a team that's shown that it's a solid defensive unit working hard for each other, uh, and also you know needing to understand. Uh, you know some of the dark arts of the game as well. You know, knowing when to take some some time out of a game, kill things a little bit, break up momentum. Um, I think we saw that almost to perfection at Anfield, to be honest. Before um, sort of the sort of fluke goal, the end by Cavalio, if, we, if we're honest. Um, Trippier you know, comes from the Simeone school of that, obviously after his time at Atletico <laughs> Madrid. Um, just wanted to sort of ask you about his importance as a leader in the team, and also. Uh, how much, uh, how much of that you've seen throughout the season as well? So, you know, a team being streetwise, you know, knowing how to uh, make up for sometimes the gaps in quality to ensure that you're, you're staying in games or securing results. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's enormously important. Again, something I've really seen at Newcastle for a long time. We've been very guilty over the years of not being streetwise, you say, managing games, whatever you want to call it. Um, we haven't done it, um, and you know, we've, I've seen. Lots of sort of 
late conceded goals or getting men sent off, running challenges when you know they're getting a bit high, high goals into games, all that kind of strange stuff that you associate with not managing the game properly. Um, there's been very little of that, um, and as you say, funny enough, Anfield probably the only time I haven't pulled it off successfully and we <laughs> tried our best. Um, I think how we spent some time with Simeone in the time out of the game. Um, and it's, it's just very, very apparent that um, it must be awful to, to watch and play against, um, which, again, I'm sure the full fans will agree on that because they were pretty annoyed by some of the antics at Anfield. But, um, yeah, you, you name it, we've done it. We, we, we have players go down injured a lot when when we're ahead and um, <laughs> against Fulham we uh, we accused them of bringing on an extra man so they've had to stop the game and count all the players on the pitch and I don't know how they cope with these things like it's ridiculous really but um, I don't feel bad at all because for say for years I've, I've sat there and watched us get mm. lose our rags with these streetwise teams who just you know are clever and, and beat us and um, it's nice to be able to dish it out for a change. Um, obviously, you know, in an ideal world, it wouldn't happen at all in football, but whilst it does, um, I'm not going to be upset about us actually doing it for a change because uh, I've seen it too much over the years. Yeah, and I think it's, um, I think it's a fair point when it comes to sort of the, I'm sure Liverpool fans, I'm sure I was annoyed at the time of watching the game or whatever, but I, I, the, the number of times Liverpool fans have bemoaned uh, the team not being streetwise as well in the earlier sort of, um, sort of days under Klopp or uh, this season, to be honest, where sort of there's yeah. been some absolutely mind-boggling decisions <laughs> from some of the most experienced players in the team. Uh, yeah, you, you, you do long for those streetwide days of uh, uh, fouling someone on the halfway line rather than letting them sprint through uh, to have a, yeah. uh, a tap-in, which has been well, exactly yeah. unfortunately what's been happening this, this, uh, this season. Um, you also, I mean, talking about the some of the other key players. Uh, I, I'm going to get to Gimenez and sort of the impact that he's had, but we spoke last time about Joel Linton and the way in which he had rebuilt his career in Newcastle, the new role that he was being uh, deployed in. Has that remained the same, or has, has his role become a little bit more fluid this season in terms of how he's um, been used by Eddie Howe? Yeah, he's, he's still been used in midfield, but we've had quite a nice uh, fluid good work because what we tend to do is we have him and Joe Willock operate towards the left-hand side, whether it's Joe Linton plays wide left or, or Joe Willock. Uh, and then we've got, obviously, one of them two, plus Bruno, plus Sean Longstaff in the middle of the park. Um, and that's worked really well. Um, Willock and, and Joe Linton are both incredible ball carriers, but also I mean, Joe Linton's physicality is ridiculous. Like You've probably seen him in, in various games where he just seems to have players bouncing off him as he's carrying the ball around. Um, he... Is physical. Um, he's got, I think he's on eight or nine yellows already, which is not great, but um, he's fundamentally probably never played centre midfield in his life until this last couple of seasons, so um, you have to take the rough with the smooth. But um, he, his transformation has been incredible from what he was. Um, he doesn't seem to have um, that sort of. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. 
he presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Attacking Naus to score 15 goals a season, 20 goals a season, uh, which is what he was born in to do. Um, but as a box-to-box midfield player, he's been absolutely unbelievable. Um, had we signed him as that, you know, there'd be statues that being built by now. <laughs> been, people wouldn't believe what they'd bought for that, for that price. But um, he's just been so good. Um for for well probably a year now probably a bit longer since he moved into midfield um, it's been a really good transition because it's not like his efforts have been really that much in question he just wasn't very good as a centre forward fundamentally um, but he's been really good in midfield so um, he's a big part of our success and another player who I suppose fits into that profile as well of you know maybe the endeavour the work rate never really being in question, but the end product certainly being in question, uh, uh, who now sort of delighted to see he's got his own chant as well, which is a nice one, uh, and his silencing is Jack Grealish as the season goes on, obviously, is uh, Miguel Almiron. Um, Ten goals, uh, I, th- I think it is, so far in all competitions this um, yeah. this this season. What do you make of his improvements and sort of, do you think that, what was behind sort of him turning a corner there? Um, well, again, you know, his work rate's never been in question. He worked so hard for the team. It was, it was a long time coming where he even got his first goal. But uh, I say once, once he started the season, it seemed like he was never going to stop. But um, he's got a nice relationship down that side with, with Trippier uh, and Bruno. So while we've got Willock and Joe Linton down the other side, Bruno, Trippier and uh, and Almiron down that side seem to seem to keep people busy. Um, lots of nice little one-twos um, in behind and. He's obviously been working on his finishing because he, he doesn't seem to miss much these days. Um, but it, again, it's a nice success story because he came um, and was loved for the first few weeks and then he snapped his hamstring and we didn't really see him again until the Bruce days where you know, no one really shone in that team. Um, you could see the confidence drain out of him over the course of a season or two. And then I think I'd written him off, to be honest. I think uh, a lot of people had. He was kind of in the last chance saloon, especially with... And you found wealth. It shouldn't have been that difficult to to get someone who could score five goals a season, which you know we weren't getting out of him. Um, but as you say, he's already got ten, and looks like getting many more. So um, nice story for him, and great story for us, really. And then moving on to the sort of the transfers, because I think obviously there's the inescapable discussion about sort of the money that now is uh, at Newcastle's disposal to bring talent in you know, over the next few sort of seasons, and. Some of the signings have been quite interesting, and I think there's there's been fewer of the uh, Rubinho signings, if you remember, <laughs> obviously from the yes. Kansas City, and what looks like, like to be a pretty considered approach, to be honest. And so, uh, you mentioned Botman and the impact he's made already. Isaac um, was somebody that, of course, we saw at Anfield, and someone who mm. I've always sort of rated quite highly. And be good to get your opinion on on how he's done. And then, um, of course, more recently, uh, actually, there was Matt Target from from Villa as well. You mentioned Pope. Uh, and more recently, of course, in the in the January window, uh, Anthony Gordon coming in from from Everton. Uh, so, just sort of going over those new signings, I'm, I'm, I'm supposing that Gordon is the one obviously we've seen the least of so far, although he yeah, did yeah. seem to make a you know, decent impact so far. Um, what have you made of sort of the the impact? I mean, Isaac is sort of the big the bigger fee, um, and uh, you know, he comes in to try and solve that uh, that key position for you. 
Yeah, well, I mean, he's actually a potential clear for to see. I mean, he said the way he took his goal Anfield, and that was probably his debut, I think. Um, so cool and calm and slotted <laughs> top was a top corner or something, something similar. Yeah, yeah. He took it very well, and you know that's that's great. But shortly after that, he that's one offside as well, right? That's unlucky. Yes, it? I think it was one where he went. He seemed to sit everybody down two or three times and yeah. put it in only be flagged offside. But um, he got a big injury shortly after that. He, he only played. Maybe two or three games after that Liverpool game, and uh, then he was out until after the World Cup. He came back in in January, um, which I was worried about because whenever you get a player who, who moves to the Premier League and they get a big injury, you kind of wonder, you know, it's going to take them a while to get up to speed and such like. But um, he scored the winner against Fulham, which was nice for him coming off the bench, uh, and he looked sharp. But um, I thought I don't know if you saw the Bournemouth game we played last weekend, but he he um, was a little bit bullied. Um, not as strong as back to goal as Callum Wilson is. Um, it doesn't look like it's his game. It shouldn't really be have to be his game, but sometimes you know when you go away from home, you need to need to hold the ball up and, and do the the hard the hard things really. But um, he will he will get there. You just you just look at him and he's got everything you need really to be to be a success. Um, I said unfortunately for him, he's coming into a team which we're not almost fluid at the moment um, for various reasons. Um, but he will only get better than my players. I've got no worries about him now. Um, as I say, just a shame that with Bruno out, we, we are a, a worse team, um, which would be music to your ears, I imagine, ahead of the weekend. But um, w- without him, we're, we're not as good going forward. I must admit, I'm so self-obsessed at the moment uh, in sort of my own sort of Liverpool uh, situation that <laughs> I actually didn't clock that Gamerish was going to be out for, for this weekend. So that's... um. That's actually news for me during the pod. Oh, so right. I think that's actually. Well, you got it. Yeah, you, that... you got a needless red card in the second leg of the cup, the Carabao Cup. Um, oh, did he? Okay. And he missed the last two league games, which you haven't won, and he'll miss this one as well. Um, but they'll be back for the cup final, so swinging roundabouts, I guess, for most. But true, um, true. Yeah. Just a shame. Well, that's it's. It's very generous of him to be honest. <laughs> well, yes. Not that it's going to be sort of the sort of deciding factor by, um, behind this weekend's game by any stretch, given what we've seen from um, from both teams this season. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's uh, any advantages these days. I think, and yeah, I think a, a refreshed Bruno Gamarage coming back into uh, the the side for the cup final is going to be sort of a, a exciting prospect as well. And looking at the season, I mean, looking at the fixtures here, there's an awful lot of green and uh, sort of the the letter W against them in terms of sort of the the results in in the league. Uh, obviously, particularly strong run uh, from October uh, until sort of the end of end of December. Uh, I suppose being capped off almost by that, uh, well, before the draw against uh, Leeds, that three 0 win um, away to to Leicester. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, are there particular games that stand out to you uh, when you look back at the season so far as uh, really good examples of sort of you know, the Eddie Howe um, philosophy that he's implementing at Newcastle working to, to full effect? Um, as, as you say, there's quite a few examples of, of when it's gone well. I mean, our, mm. our best day, i say, was probably Villa at home or, or Brentford at home where I say they just kept coming at us and we just kept picking them off. It was it was, it was the game plan being perfectly implemented. But um, you know, likewise, it was almost as pleasing to go to Arsenal and draw nil nil at a time when Arsenal were you know flying, hadn't hadn't dropped a point at home, hadn't lost at home certainly. Um, and we went there and we we nullified them for, for ninety minutes. And all right, it wasn't pretty, and I'm sure they were pretty upset about the way we went about it. But um, 
that was us mixing with, with the big lads, if you like, which again we haven't done for a long time. So um, to be able to do it and, and not to go to place doing it either, um, that was almost as pleasing as you know beating the likes of Villa and Brentford four and five. It's um, it's it's the two sides of the house team at the minute where you know we we are very resolute defensively, but if teams don't maybe treat us with the right respect, then we'll you know we can we can pick them off and it uh, make it a pretty uncomfortable afternoon to them. And in terms of sort of how Eddie has been lining the side up, and what what's what, what what's generally been the tactical approach that you've seen this season? Has there been much variation? Not really. No, it's always been four three three. Last season he doubled a few times with, with five at the back. Um, we've seen none of that this time around. Um, it's just been been four three three. I mean, he hasn't really needed to change it to be quite honest with you. Um, the biggest change he made was two or three games in. Um, he started to play Dan Burns left back instead of that target. Um, that meant that he out uh, in possession. It's almost a three, and then Trippier can go go wild on the right hand side, and you know Burn doesn't go, but generally doesn't really cross halfway. Um, that's that's been the sort of the, the big switch he made at some point, which doesn't sound like a big thing, but it's kind of set up how we attack. Um, it's always, it's nearly always been, as, as mentioned earlier, Bruno, Sean Longstaff, and the two duos on the left, and then Almiron and. Wilson front. Um, to say generally, generally can't have any complaints. It, it's worked pretty well. Um, we, I don't think we had the best January window. Um, I say Anthony Gordon coming in, not a problem. Um, probably wasn't many people's choice, but he was available and we, you know, he's better than what we have in reserve and obviously has a lot of potential to get him better. So I can make my peace with that. But letting specifically John Joe Shelby go without bringing a replacement, I think it's a big risk. As we found out, obviously, Bruno. Uh, it's missed three games and we've, we've, we've lacked options in there. Um, and also let Chris Wood go. Again, not not a huge deal losing Chris Wood or Shelby, you know, at that stage of the career, at that stage of where we are. But to not replace them at all, I think it was a big risk, um, especially with, you know, Callum Wilson's injury record, essentially leaves you with just Isaac. Um, and we only have the, the three centre mids, so um, a little bit odd we didn't replace them, but what can you do? I suppose, I suppose it sort of tees up my next question quite nicely, actually, that I was going to ask you sort of where, uh, in terms of this Newcastle side developing further, um, I mean, perhaps now, obviously, it's, it's going to be next season in terms of sort of any new incomings, as you mentioned, but... Um, I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs Mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. The areas where you think that the 
your your next C investment made to sort of build out this side, take it to the next level. I imagine uh, midfield is is going to be mm-hmm. the one, yeah. considering you've only got three central midfielders. And that's, yeah, that's something that uh, I'm sure will be something that uh, rings true to uh, quite a few Liverpool fans this season in terms of sort of um, yeah. actually... Having more than three midfielders, but actually sort of only seeming to have three that uh, work together, um, which has been a realization. Um, but where are the areas in the team that you think uh, are probably going to require the most focus? How does this team kick on? Yeah, I think we need a an out and out hold midfield player, um, someone who can you know sit in front of the back four and do do you know, more than just sit. But you know, I don't want a Claude Magalhaes type. But nowadays, it seems we've got a lot of sort of progressive hold midfield players who would would help. Um, it would also give Bruno some protection as well because I say he's he does everything in there for us. He creates, but he also scraps and wins possession back. And um, Longstaff covers a lot of yards. Um, and the the so Willock and Joel Hinton are almost box to box. So having someone who can who can actually protect the back four and also help in transition would be, would be very useful. Um, and um, I think, as I said, we, we probably need a third option up front. Um, probably someone on the younger side who can be be brought through and and created um, into a you know a real threat over time. Um, I don't think uh, they are necessarily needing to be first team players just yet, but um, over time. We need to develop someone. I don't know who that would be. Obviously, they don't come cheap, but we'll have to have to scour probably the European market to find somebody for that. Yeah, I'm sure it's almost interesting to see the profile that you do actually end up sort of pursuing for those roles. Because, as you mentioned, there are some different kinds of profile of players you, you could pursue to uh, to solve some of those issues. But it's, um, yeah, it hasn't always been the most obvious choice in terms of the scouting that you've you've done to date. So it's going to be interesting to see sort of who the who the club identify. Uh, players that I mean we, we've spoken about beforehand and I, I, I will remember speaking to Newcastle journalists and fans about on a regular basis over the past few seasons when things weren't so good of course it was yeah, Alan St. Maximan and uh, often the shining light for for you guys really sort of amidst some quite difficult times you sort of mentioned earlier on in the in the pod that um, what makes him so good in a way also sort of makes him uh, a bit vulnerable in terms of you know, his selection uh, in the team because obviously there's that, such priority on the unit and um, once you're doing a disciplined role and maybe not being as much of a free spirit which is what what you see from uh, Anacet Maximan at times certainly when he's at his best uh, not just him but it has a players that perhaps haven't had the season you expected so far I mean what would you uh, what would you say about that? Yeah, well, he's been, I wouldn't say disappointing, he hasn't really, he, he just hasn't been in the team. Um, the good thing is, from our point of view, the 11 who have played generally every week have been exceptional, um, so there hasn't really been a need to, to chop and change that much. But yeah, St. Maxwell, when he, when he comes in, he hasn't really grasped his chance. Um, but again, you know, when you haven't played for four, five, six games and you, you get brought in for whatever reason, it's not that easy just to pick it up and, and get on with it. So, um, he would be the one who, who hasn't hit to the height. I mean, as I say, he pretty much carried the team at times under under Bruce in the old era, and you know, obviously grateful for that. But um, it's almost like you know, as I said earlier, as a unit, we're better without him. Obviously, individually, he's incredibly talented, but um, he doesn't bring as much to the team as maybe a Joel Linton or, or Willock playing out there. So um, that's something that we'll have to probably decide in the summer. You know, is it worth pursuing with him, trying to get him up to that level, or? Do we just cut cash in on him and move on? Um, 
and I really don't know the answer to that because he, he does get a lot of injuries as well, which doesn't help his cause. So um, that's a difficult one. But but elsewhere, um, I have no complaints. Those who those who play play very well, um, and everyone else has, has barely had a kick as a result. So um, it's hard yeah. hard to criticise them. And one thing definitely I've spoken about at length with with Newcastle fans uh, and journalists over the years, um, prior to the takeover, uh, was was always about sort of you know like what the what the point of certain seasons were. If, for example, the you know the 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 peak of sort of the ambition in the league you know, had to be you know, previously survival or you know sort of a mid table finish or, or or something like that. Um, what was the point in not making more of an effort to prioritise the cup competitions? And I know that was something that did seem to really annoy the fan base over the yeah. years um, because you're, you're, just, you're looking for fun, you're looking for enjoyment in these difficult circumstances and, and to not prioritise those competitions felt like a waste. Um, t- to see the club really go after it this season and you know get themselves to to the Carabao Cup final, as you mentioned, on the uh, well, which will be the uh, the game after the after the Liverpool game. Uh, just describe sort of what that experience has been like. I mean, you mentioned, I think that yeah, the last time that uh, you'd seen the side get to a final was it that you were eleven years old? Yeah, it was nineteen eighty nine. So mm. I'd, uh, I'd just turned eleven. or just I can't remember what it was exactly, but I'd, I'd have been eleven or ten or around that age anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean. We've made a massive a number of opportunities over the years to to make cup finals and to, to really kick on and, and well documented that Mike Ashley didn't really believe in the cups. There was no point in it. He didn't make any money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah. um, it was a pretty bleak existence, really, just you know playing for 17th every year. Um, so to have someone have a real go at a cup this year and make the final is kind of justification for all those fans who've been saying, you know, let's have a go at it. Um, we had to beat, you know, we've beaten Premier League teams in every round, I think, except the very first round where we played Tranmere, but, you know, we've beaten Crystal Palace and Bournemouth and Leicester and Southampton and, all right, not the top end Premier League by any means, but it could have been a little kinder, to be honest, but, we've, you know, we've gone at them, um, we've, we've given the competition respect and, we, and now we've made a final. Um, it's very nice to think that we're one game away from ending a drought that's extended back to 1969, but actually one game away from being back in Europe, um, if we can find a result next Sunday, so... Um, it's very exciting. Um, all the fans, all the fans are talking about it. I think that does translate a little bit on the pitch with some of the results, um, and it does have me a little bit worried about the weekend because um, with one week to go, I think there'd be some. I don't know. It, if, I, if, it was, if it was me in those shoes, I'm not sure how much focus I'd have on a, on a league game when there's possibly the biggest game of your career coming a week later. So, mm. um, might might be another factor in your favour, but. <laughs> yeah. We are still also in the in the hunt for the top four, so you know, kind of kind of forget that either. I was going to say, I mean, say, so I think, I mean, we, I think, I noticed it from a number of players ahead of the World Cup, right? In terms of, you could see players maybe not overextending themselves, terrified of of getting injured and missing out on on that tournament, and we saw a number of players cruelly sort of denied it. Um, by, by picking up injuries really close to that as well, uh, the, the cup final day being so close, uh, as you say, I, I imagine it's going to play on on many players' uh, minds and to sort of do they go in for that challenge, for example, or do do, do they over the, exert themselves on a sprint for a, a channel ball or whatever it might be? It's uh, I do appreciate sort of you adding the factors in there to <laughs> to, to give encouragement to Liverpool fans of late, but. Um, 
it's yeah i i i, I don't, don't get the impression it's going to be anything other than a very very tough game in a in a hostile atmosphere um, you mentioned that you know newcastle obviously in the hunt still for the top four um I've seen some people of late talk about how you know, perhaps Newcastle getting a little bit distracted of late. You know, some of these results, it draws, um, not playing the same football that you you had done beforehand. From our discussion, to me, it just sounds like you're you're suffering mostly from the the absence in midfield of of Gamera, like you mentioned, and maybe uh, the lack of a real out and out goal scorer in that centre forward role. Whilst Isaac's missed so many games, um, do you get any sort of fear that? Um, uh, as we've seen with, with other sides in the past, like the pursuit of a cup can can have a negative effect on on what's going on in the league. Uh, I do worry a little bit. Um, as I mentioned before, you know it has been the talk of the town making this final, and I can't, it's got to be in the dressing room as well to an extent. Um, I think it probably helps us if it's Liverpool who come. Like you know, Liverpool is a huge game, whether they're you know first or tenth or wherever you are on the table at the minute. Um, it's always a big game playing as Liverpool. Um, it, the crowd will be up for it, as you say, they always are home games, but um, I do obviously fear that if you know if we, if we go and lose next Sunday, what happens then? You know, does, does, the, does the season fall apart, which we've seen for other teams in the past? Um, and indeed, if we win, is that, you know, does that galvanise us? It should do. Um, but, you know, there's also a chance that players come into party mode and sort of forget to do the, the hard yards, which, again, it's a new territory for us. We've never really been in this situation, so... Um, I don't know, but uh, it's, an, it's an interesting factor to add in, not something we usually have to deal with. So mm. let's see, let's see what difference it makes. No, exactly. I mean, I think after sort of the the past few seasons, yeah, you're not going to be sort of against most of these experiences. I mean, it's it's no. it's, it's the stuff that comes with success, right? So, uh, in terms of your expectations for the remainder of the season, I, I suppose that question, uh, I'm, I'm trying to tempt you to to make a prediction there in a little bit because. Usually, when you see sides that are built on such a great defensive foundation, it, it does really stand them in good stead, um, provided they're still able to eke out those wins to maintain sort of their their relative position in the league. Uh, when you look at that top four race, you do imagine that uh, you know Newcastle, you're firmly there. If, if Liverpool are to have any intention of rebuilding the season, that they'll try and compete for it. Uh, Spurs, despite some you know, pretty significant injuries and bad form of late, and uncertainty about the manager, probably going to be in there as well. And then there's some new um, Brighton are you know, performing incredibly well at the moment as well. And it remains to be seen how far they can maintain that run as well. Uh, your expectations for the remainder of the season then? Uh, and I, I suppose, what would you take right now? Uh, well, um, obviously I'd love to be in the top four, but um, as part of the things, as you said there, it's, it's maybe a bit too soon. Um I would absolutely take winning the Carabao Cup and finishing fifth. Um, I think, you know, baby steps were hopefully not going anywhere. It's not, there's no rush to to break the top four and potentially, you know, sell ourselves short next season. Um, forget they're great, but um, I think if we can win the Carabao Cup first and foremost, that would be an unbelievable success story for us. So that's my priority. Um, probably should be in the top four, really, but it's mm. part of it. We haven't won anything for so long. I haven't won anything in my lifetime. You know, to, to tick that off would be, would be just ideal. Um, and then, as I say, hopefully what will be will be. And with all the financial backing to, to go and do it again next year and, you know, go on to greater heights and beef the squad out further and be better prepared for it and whatever else. Um, so I'm not, I'm not, in a, in a, in, you know, if we don't do the top four this season, it's not the end of the world. 
However, we might wait another 30 years for a cup final. So, you know, hmm. um, they only come around certainly once, once or twice in, in my lifetime. So uh, let's grasp the nettle on that and see where we'll go. No, of course, yeah. I think that's probably a, a sort of a shared view by by many, many fans. And uh, just a couple of questions before we, sort of, we, we wrap up. Um, uh, w- one question I've been wondering about for a while, I'm not, not even sure how to maybe properly articulate this, but there's obviously been discussion about Liverpool... Uh, being you know, potentially up for sale, and so the, the interested parties uh, of of who that who that may be, different consortiums. There's there's been rumours of state state backed um, bids as well. We've seen sort of interest in uh, Tottenham Hotspurs, an interest in Manchester United as well, and um, it's been interesting because obviously it's brought up this debate again about you know who 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 the fan base would necessarily like to see own own the club there's been a discussion about values and just just how genuine are those values and uh, also how realistic is it to expect anybody with the with the with the money to be able to buy a football club these days to you know to be virtuous or whatever um or you know virtuous enough to to satisfy uh you know, a, a huge section of a global fan base you know in 2023 um so this is like a very roundabout sort of way of asking you just sort of how you've how you found sort of like dealing with you know questions and debates about the ownership since since they've come in because obviously you want to be able to focus on just the the football and enjoying yourself and the experience of sharing it with you know your your family and fans that you you go to the game with um but yeah that's always been swirling there as well beside beside it all i mean how how have you found that so sort of dealing with it as a fan yeah, I mean, I'm able to separate it. I know it's one of those where you know, I know that I shouldn't be able to. Realistically, you know, mm. it's, we should all just down tools and not not get involved. But when the club's been part of your life for, for so long, exactly, um, you can't just walk away from it. Um, and I hope that all the you know the sports washing, etc. Does shine a light on, on their views and the way they, they they operate over there, and I hope it makes it make a change. But I, I can't imagine for a minute it will. Um, unfortunately, they're involved in an awful lot of things. And football is one thing, but they're also involved in a lot of every day of the things that we we, we all like and enjoy. So um, I think you'd have to go over an awful lot of things. Um, <laughs> in an ideal world, it wouldn't be the case, but I'm not sure how many ethical billionaires are out there. Um, yeah, which is a problem. Um, but <laughs> I know there's some some fans who have walked away from from the club, um, mm-hmm. and you know, fair play, absolutely well, absolutely, you know, understand their their, their viewpoint. Um, but when it comes to a match day, to be honest, like you're just thinking about the football, which again is, is exactly what Sport One is designed to do, which is obviously the opposite of, of what we should feel as humans. But um, it's 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 very difficult and. Uh, I say, in an ideal world, it wouldn't be the case, and I would, I would never be one of those fans who's going out there and you know, wearing the, oh, yeah. the attire of a, of a South yeah. or whatever. Um, I think there's some decorum got to be shown on that, but um, I, I don't know what the answer is to be quite honest with you. No, you I wasn't um, asking for sort of a, a perfect answer because I, I, I don't think there is one to be honest. I think I think that's what makes the debate so difficult, as you were as you were talking about there, and that's what makes. Uh, sports washing in general such such a successful 
uh, um, su- well, successfully employed sort of tool. I mean, I, I mm. only have to look back to what that global tournament that was a few months, like a couple of months yeah. ago, uh, to, yeah, to talk about that. And so obviously the way in which that ended, uh, I'm sure will be marketed as one of the greatest tournaments of all, <laughs> of all time. And that's, you know, that was the point. That was the point. So it's, it's, you know, you can talk about you know, not succeeding, but it, it, it's a very, very, you know, potent thing to, to fight against. It, yeah. The, the only reason I bring it up is just, I think it's, I imagine, Liverpool as well is one of these clubs that if, uh, uh, yeah, as the sales situation works itself out, it's gonna, yeah, just, just lead to these same questions. And I, I, I imagine there will be, yeah, I can well imagine a, a, a section of the fan base deciding it's not for them. But, uh, as you say, when match day comes around for another section, it's gonna be really difficult. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame that in, you know, we, we obviously live in this world where we can't just focus on, on one thing rather than the other. Um, but I think, as you say, I think we're all, we're all smart enough to be able to sort of, you know, see both things separately. Um, and yeah, yeah I yeah. just think, um, yeah, it's on this pod, I think, you know, given I'm not, I don't, I don't have five or six hours to talk about sort of complex geopolitical, hmm. uh, patterns with you. Yeah. Uh, we'll perhaps to end up finishing <laughs> with the football, uh, and the game this weekend then, um, uh, Liverpool playing away to Newcastle. I'm expecting a very difficult atmosphere, late kickoff on Saturday uh, under the lights. Well, it'll be a little bit, it'll be brighter than it has been, but still under the lights. Uh, w- what kind of game are you expecting? Uh, cause as you mentioned, key absence uh, in Bruno. Uh, maybe some minds elsewhere as you know, you, you don't have to be human for that to be the case, but also, uh, a massive game. Yeah. I, mean, I think it'll be a draw, which is a cop out answer, but I, I do think it's obviously we're hard to beat. And, uh, I don't think we'll go for the jugular necessarily. If we get ahead, we'll try and stay ahead, of course, but I don't think you'll see us chasing the game to try and win it if, we, if it's level with maybe 10 minutes to go. Um, looking at the table, you know, if Liverpool to win this game with a game in hand on us, you could, be within three points in a few weeks, which is um, quite a turnaround where you have been where, 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 compared to where we were. Um, and I think I think Howell know that in the back of his mind, so um, wouldn't be at all surprised if it's a draw. Um, in terms of how the game will pan out, I mean, again, it's sometimes suits us teams don't just sit in and defend, which I don't suppose you will for one second, but um, we're missing that sort of key pass. So. Um, We've also conceded a few corners recently, so if you've got Van Dijk back, that might be worth watching. But uh, I think it'll be a draw, um, and I wouldn't be too upset with that. I think it's going to be an interesting one this weekend in terms of the team selection. As you mentioned, I think Van Dijk will be will be back. Uh, but then again, you, do you, I wonder whether there's some sort of reflection on it that you know do, does he come back for for that game or do we sort of ensure that he's fit for the games against Real Madrid which mm. has just crept up on us as well yeah. uh, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to uh, the, I think there's Jota who's returned Firmino who's returned as well Thiago is missing uh, with one of those knocks that turns into a six six week absence um, and there's Bacetich of course is that new uh, sort of youthful addition to the midfield that's been sort of sorely um, yeah crying yeah. out for it to be honest uh, so I think it's going to be interesting uh, and yeah Darwin Nunez I'm not sure if you've seen but uh, <laughs> yeah you can talk about not conceding goals <laughs> this is uh, this is a guy who needs to score one as well so it's uh, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting battle uh, there um, yeah I, 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 I can see a draw uh, being sort of decided by on both you know, by both teams on sort of a certain maybe 60-70 minutes if there's a 
if it's looking yes. like a stalemate, to be honest. But um, yeah, I think I, I, I expect it to be a ferocious sort of opening twenty minutes. Um, Dave, uh, so David, sorry, rather. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for like coming on as usual and um, giving us your perspective on where Newcastle have have gone to so far this season. It's I think it's going to be a fascinating remainder of it, um, uh, and and one which I think that Newcastle will finish actually very strongly. I I don't see many many causes for concern other than the depth, as you mentioned there in midfield, and I think if uh, yeah injuries or whatever sort of leads to long absences, perhaps that could have a um, an impact. I, I don't I don't truly buy into the cup narrative that I was trying to lead you into it earlier on but um, I wish you the very best of luck um, against uh, Manchester United as you as you would no doubt imagine uh, in words well thank you for that I appreciate it I wish you all the luck in the world after Saturday <laughs> exactly yeah we'll see <laughs> see what happens I think uh, yeah I think for most Liverpool fans uh, if we were to finish the season resembling uh, Liverpool again I think that would be that'd be a very satisfying scene for us it was, it was great that we seemed to re- rediscover that um, against Everton that was a very useful rediscovery just in time <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah well, we'll see well, so hopefully, hopefully it's the time for Real Madrid that's, 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 that's been my thing for the past month or so is that uh, a Uruguayan striker struggling for uh, any sort of uh, ability to score is miraculously going to score uh, a brace away uh, home and away to Real Madrid. That's 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 what's going to happen. That's what's so. <laughs> exactly going to manifest it. Uh, anyway, David, yeah, thank you, so, thanks so much. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Harry. No problem at all. Thanks to all of you who've been persevering with these uh, rivalry compods throughout what's been a difficult season so far. Uh, hopefully, that two 0 win over Everton will prove to have mean the Reds have finally turned somewhat of a corner. Uh, between now and the next podcast, there's you know, plenty of great content on Anfield Next Pro to check out. So do make sure to check out the Under Pressure Pod coming soon. It's really going to dive deep into exactly sort of how the Reds uh, emerged uh, victorious over Everton uh, on Monday evening. Uh, and we'll be back with another episode of Rival Recon ahead of the Crystal Palace game on the 25th of February. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.